before we jump into this is that there's a small group um, that's getting back going here in the fall. It meets at the house of Liz and Grover Higgins. I had mentioned that a couple weeks ago. If you're looking for a place to uh, connect and build community with some other believers, uh, this would be a great place for you to get started with that. Um, Gina Kelly's sitting right down here, and Gina, you wave your hand. And so you can catch up with Gina after church today if you need directions to get over to Liz and Grover's. I think y'all do a meal, right? So I'd come for the food. So if you like Liz's cooking on Wednesday night, all right. <laughs> all right, and that's at 5 o'clock, but catch up with Gina, and she'll get you um, connected up with that group. Um, uh, so we're continuing our series on Judges. We learned um, over the last couple of weeks that Israel has moved into the promised land, the land that God had promised to them. Um, it's about the size of New Jersey, and it's what we know of today as modern-day Israel, plus a little bit extra. And uh, they had conquered that territory, conquered that land, and, um, but there are still some pockets of resistance inside of this territory, uh, some mop-up work, basically, that's still left to be done. And so the opening chapter of Judges reports to us both the uh, successes and failures of the Israelites in, in, in dealing with the folks that are still left in their territory. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse 16 says these words. This is God speaking to Moses and giving him directions for the Israelites when they go into the land. He says, however, in the cities of the nations, the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, that is the land of Israel, do not leave alive anything that breathes, completely destroy, verse 17, them, as the Lord your God has commanded you. So the Israelites are entering into this land of promise. They are acting under orders. They are doing what God has told them to do by going in there, moving out everybody that's in there, and taking the land for themselves. Basically, Goldilocks is sitting in their house, eating their porridge, sleeping in their bed, and the Israelites are running Goldie out of town. So, um, as Judges reports, Judges chapter 1, it tells us whether or not the Israelites were fully successful in this effort. So, um, our scripture for today comes from Judges chapter 1. You can flip over there. We're going to be reading verses 31 and through 33. And as is our custom, I'm going to ask for you to stand. So, let's stand for the reading from God's Word. Judges chapter 1, verse 31 and through 33. Here we go. Nor did Asher drive out those living in Acho or Sidon or Alab or Axib or Helba or Aphek or Rehob. And because of this, the people of Asher lived among the Canaanite inhabitants of the land. Verse 33. Neither did Naphtali drive out those living in Beth Shemesh or Beth Anath, but the Naphtalites too lived among the Canaanite inhabitants of the land. And those living in Beth Shemeth and Beth Anath became forced laborers for them. You may be seated. Jason's up here going like this. What? 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 What are we doing? So probably not the best scripture for us to read together, but we'll get into this here in just a little bit. Um, I want to, um, let's, say, let's jump, jump into verse 31. It says, now Asher drove out those living in Acho and Sidon and all these other towns that are mentioned. But before we get into those towns, I want to say, who is Asher? What is this all about? Well, I've got a little genealogical chart for you here. Not exactly, uh, it doesn't have everything, doesn't have the wives and all the other children, but it has the mainstream of what's going on here. Abraham, Father Abraham, was the beginning of the nation of Israel. He was the first Jewish person. There were other, obviously, people who followed after the Lord before Abraham, but the start of the nation of Israel began with Abraham. That's why they call him Father Abraham. Abraham had a son, Isaac. You remember the story about how Abraham and Isaac went out and he was going to sacrifice Isaac on a hill, which we know today as um, Jerusalem. And anyhow, he's going to sacrifice his son Isaac. He ended up not doing it. 
And then um, Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob wrestled with God, and after he got done wrestling with God, this is later in Jacob's life, he was renamed Israel. Israel, or Jacob, had 12 sons, actually 13 children, and the 13th was a daughter. But he had 12 sons, and out of these 12 sons, these are their names that you see up there. Asher is one of them. So Asher is both a person, and Asher is also the name of the tribe of all the descendants that come from Asher. So if I was the great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson or granddaughter of Asher, I would be part of the tribe of Asher. You follow me? All right, so there's other children up there. There's Naphtali, there's Judah, there's Zebulun, there's Dan. There's all these different names, Benjamin, and so um, so forth. Um, let's take a look at our map now. We've got a map of the, of, of the nation of Israel. You can see the shaded parts, and these shaded parts are where um, the Israelites all ended up. Um, if you can see Asher up there at the very top uh, left along the shores of the, uh, of, the, of the Mediterranean Sea, it encompasses all the way up to Tyre and Sidon, those two territories at the northernmost portion along the, along the Mediterranean Sea. And so that's where Asher in that top northern shaded portion ended up. So when they entered into the land, each of the 12 tribes with their 70,000 know, fighting men, plus all their, their, the wives and the children, um, they all entered into these lands and took possession of this land. And so this is reporting to us in verse 31, in very brief format, the success and or failure of Asher to take the land. Did you follow that? Mm -mm, okay, I'm not sure you do. But anyway, we're just going to keep on going. So let's look at verse 31. So it says, back, um, Nor did Asher, the tribe, drive out those living in Acho or Sidon or Aleb or Akadib or Helba or Aphek or Rehob. Now, I count in that verse seven towns or seven cities inside of that territory where Asher went to take. Um, but it says here that they were unsuccessful, which they, that's not the case because the Israelites, uh, God said he would make them successful. So really what happens is the, the people of Asher, they, just, they went in, they took the land, but they decided they were going to go around Akdib or they were going to go around uh, Aleb or Sidon or whatever the town was, and they didn't take the people of that city. They didn't take that city as their, their own. So there's seven towns here, seven cities that Asher was not faithful to uh, conquer. Um, were they supposed to take these Canaanite cities? Absolutely they were. We had just read back in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 16, God says, however, in the cities of the nation the Lord your God is giving you, do not leave anything alive that breathes. Now, I want to take a time out here for just a second, and because some of us, if we weren't here a couple of weeks ago, uh, we answered the question, why would a good and loving God, or supposedly loving God, give orders for the people of Israel to go into this territory and annihilate local populations? I mean, including women, including children. Um, they, they're supposed to leave nothing alive. This is not just the fighting men. This is the entire population. And we answered that question a couple of weeks ago. I'm not going to answer that question this morning because I answered it a couple of weeks ago. But you can go online and you can catch the sermon from a couple of weeks ago and pick it up there. Okay, so I just want to invite you to do that, um, to go check that out if you, have, if you are wondering about an answer to that question. So verse 31 reports that the tribe of Asher failed to execute on those orders that God had given them to go in and drive out everyone, to, to completely uh, remove all of the local indigenous people in their territory. Verse 32, so here's the result. Instead, Asher, the people of Asher, lived among the Canaanite inhabitants of 
the land. Now, was Asher the only of the tribes of Israel to do this? Well, no. Look at verse 33. We read it. It says, Neither did Naphtali drive out the those living in Beth Shemeth or Beth Anath, but the Naphtalites, which is one of the tribes, also lived among the Canaanite inhabitants of the land. Now, those strange-sounding names, Beth Shemeth and Beth Anath, Beth is a Hebrew word that means house. And so this is the house of Shemeth and the house of of Anath. Shemeth was the Canaanite sun god, which is a pretty significant god amongst the Canaanite people. And so they left in place, they left intact the house of the sun god. And they also left in place Anath, the house of Anath. Anath was the fertility god. So I mean, they basically just left Las Vegas untouched, is what I'm saying. Okay, they left the red light district of their territory, the tri tribe of Asher, they left it untouched. Um, flip over to Judges chapter 1 and verse 21. Judges chapter 1 and verse 21. Um, it says that the Benjamites, another of the tribe of Israel, the Benjamites, however, failed to dislodge the Jebusites. Verse 27, Manasseh did not drive out the people of Bethshan or Tanakh or Dor or Iblim or Megiddo and their surrounding settlements. So neither Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, the people of Benjamin, nor the tribe of Manasseh uh, drove out all the people that were living in those lands. Verse 29, neither did Ephraim or Ephraim drive out the Canaanites living in Gezer, but the Canaanites continued to live there among them. Verse 30, nor did Zebulun drive out the Canaanites. I think you get the point. There's a pattern here that's emerging in these opening chapter, in this opening chapter of Judges. And that is that God has instructed them clearly to drive out the local populations. And they did, to a certain extent. And we just read what that extent was. They left certain people in certain towns untouched. Now what I want to point out is one final insight, and that is that what we're reading here in Judges chapter 1 is the opening remarks of the book. And what follows is story after story after story of the Israelites running into problems with, guess who? The Canaanites, the people they left in the land. They're either at war with them, or they're off at the fertility goddess's temple, or they're worshiping the sun god Shemeth. They're frustrated, they're tripped up morally by the very people that God said for them to remove. And so here at the outset, in the opening lines of the book, we learn why the Israelites have all the trouble that they end up having. It's because they were disobedient. Okay, well, that's our treatment of the text for today. That's as far as we want to go with this. And so that means it's time for us to ask our most important question. What difference does this make? Because I know you're really wondering. <laughs> to my life, right? You say Beth Shemeth, Beth Aneth, Beth Moore. I mean, what difference does any of this make? To me, Gordon, help me out here. You see, in this story, um, the Israelites do something wrong. They are disobedient. We can see that clearly. God told them, Deuteronomy chapter 20, go in, drive out all the local population, remove them from the land, uh, don't leave anything alive that breathes. And they were faithful to do most of that, but they didn't do all of what God asked. Um, and so we might, we might hear the Israelites say to God, well, God, I mean, we've been 
battling now for over a year. My arm is tired from throwing a spear. I mean, God, don't you understand? We've been, at, we've been going from town to town. It's like siege this city, burn that place down. I mean, come on, God, we're tired of all this. We want to go farm. We want to go kick our feet up for a little while. We want to go take a breather. We, we, let us do something other than this. And so uh, you kind of imagine that they're thinking, you know, God, enough is enough. We conquered the land. We have the deed for the title. I mean, it's in our name. We're there. God, what does it matter that we left Sidon? What does it matter that we left Axib in place or Beth Shemesh? What does it matter? You know, this line of reasoning reminds me of the Song of Solomon, the verse in Song of Solomon, chapter 2 and verse 15, where Solomon writes, catch for us the foxes. You know, foxes are known to be wily animals, right? Um, I'm going to date myself a little bit here. Does anybody remember Dora? <laughs> and in Dora, there was a character that was a fox. And there's a little music that would go, bump, 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 bump. Sorry, I never watched that show, though. <laughs> Just, it was only playing behind me in the car when we were riding down the road. I can't even remember the fox's name. But anyhow, there was a fox in that thing. And uh, what was it? Someone else has seen it. I'm glad to hear you. Admit that. Um, so Swiper, the fox, was known for being uh, wily and kind of the, the bad guy character. And that's kind of the, that's, that's the character, the character trait of a fox. And so here Solomon says, catch the foxes, the little ones, the ones that go in and ruin the vineyards. The foxes are going in, they're gnawing at the, at the, the base of the vines, they're going in, they're tearing all the, the grapes off the vines. It's these little foxes running around. And so what that verse means is that most of us don't lose the power of God operating in our life and the intimacy that we have with the Holy Spirit because of some big sin, because of some big disobedience that we've committed in our life, because of some big fox that we got in touch with. Rather, it's the little foxes and a little bit, little acts of disobedience that rob us of God's greatest blessings. Think about it. The Israelites did the big stuff. They, they went in, took the land. They had their name on the deed. It was their spot. I mean, they, they went in there. They did what they were supposed to do. They did the big stuff. However, they didn't finish the mop-up work. They didn't finish the task. They left some of the little foxes operating in their life. It may have seemed like a little thing to the tribe of Asher. And to the tribe of Naphtali, ah, just one town. Come on, God. Don't you understand? We've been obedient in all this other stuff. What does it matter that we just bypass that one? Well, this reminds me of the story of old, in the Old Testament of Joshua and the Israelites. And they had just crossed over. In fact, if you don't mind, bring our map back up. Um, they had just crossed over the Jordan River. They had taken the city of Jericho, which sits about nine miles uh, Jericho, I can see it, but you probably can't. The, just north of the Sea of, of the Dead Sea um, is Jericho, the town of Jericho. It's on the east side, over here, of the uh, Jordan River. And they had just crossed over the Jordan River to Jericho. And they had, remember, they circled up the city seven times, seven days. They walked around the city on the seventh day. They walked around it seven times. The walls fell down. They rushed in and, and took Jericho. Well, God had given them some instructions before they went into Jericho. And here's God's instructions. Joshua chapter 7 and verse 10. Um, <clears throat> I'm sorry. 
That's not the version I was going to show you. But anyway, we'll come back to Joshua chapter 7 and verse 6. So I was going to explain it to you. God told them, when you go in there, don't take any of the spoils. Don't take any of the stuff that's, that's there. Yeah, it is chapter 7 verse 10. All right, so let's take a look at it. God says to Joshua, Joshua's praying and, he, and, 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 and he's saying, God, there's something else I was going to tell you before that. So let me tell you this first. Um, so they go from Jericho. Sorry, it happens sometimes. Uh, if you lived in my mind, you would understand. <clears throat> so they go from Jericho, uh, and they're successful there, to the next town up north. And it's spelled A-I, and it's pronounced A-I. And so they go to A-I. So you can understand why things are a little jumbled in my head. And so they go to A-I, and they get clobbered. And remember, God had told them they were going to be successful. Why are we unsuccessful? And Joshua's over there just bemoaning this and saying, I don't understand, God. We were successful down in Jericho. Why are we not successful now in Ai? And so God says to him, Joshua chapter 7 and verse 10, he says, Joshua, stand up. Get up off of your knees. Quit whining. What you're praying about and saying that I've forsaken you, that is not why you're unsuccessful in Ai. Here's why, verse 11. That's not the problem. The problem is that Israel has sinned. They have taken some of the devoted things. They've gone in and they've taken some of the spoils that were in Jericho and they've taken it back and they've claimed it as their own and they weren't supposed to do that. They have stolen. They have lied. Now here's how the story ends up. There's a guy in the Israelite camp. His name is Achan. And Achan had taken some stuff and stuffed it underneath of his robe and gone back to his tent after they had defeated Jericho, he had dug a hole in the bottom of his tent, and he had buried that golden plate or golden cup or whatever it was, and so he took some spoils from Jericho, wasn't supposed to do that. Now here's the thing, there's four million Israelites at this point. Achan is one guy, one guy was disobedient, and the next town up the line, the Israelites get clobbered. One guy was disobedient, and it affected the success of the nation. Human nature would say, but that's just one guy. It's such a small amount of disobedience. Why should that matter? Well, friends, God says it matters, because even a little bit of disobedience is disobedience to him. It's the little foxes that will get you every time. It's a little bit of immorality. It's a little bit of mag looking at magazines. It's a little bit of internet porn. It's just that, hey, this is my boyfriend, and we're just having a little bit of fooling around. Friends, listen, a little bit of lying, and a little bit of cheating, and a little bit of stealing, and a little bit of refusing to make restitution, and a little bit of hatred, and a little bit of jealousy, and a little lack of forgiveness, and a little bit of re rebellion against your parents, and a little bit of disrespect for your husband, and a little bit of disloyalty at work to your boss, and a little bit of loss of dignity in how you treat your wife. Friends, listen, as followers of Christ, we dare not underestimate the destructive power of the little foxes. And so Solomon says, hey, look, we need to catch and get rid of the little foxes in our lives. We must let God teach us what he taught Asher and Naphtali and Zebulun and Judah and Joshua that we must take every, even a little bit, of obedience very seriously. Friends, every great man and woman of God understood this, that even a little bit of disobedience is disobedience to God. So let's conclude with a question today. And here's my question for you. What, as a follower of Christ, 
has God been asking you to do? Has he been asking you to go seek someone's forgiveness? Has he been asking you to forgive someone? And quite frankly, you're just not interested in doing that. What's God been asking you to do? Has God been asking you to share with somebody their need for Christ, but you're scared, you're intimidated, you're not sure how they're going to receive that, and so you've just been on pause? Has God asked you to stop dating someone that you know you have no business dating? Has God asked you to stop sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend and your fiance because you know that that is displeasing to God? Has God asked you to confess and to end that adulterous relationship that you've been a part of? Has God asked or to get help with the pornography habit that you've got or to stop watching late night TV on Cinemax and HBO? God's been after you for a long time to get that stuff, those little foxes, out of your home. What is God? been asking you to do i know that's meddling isn't it that's all right i get to do that every once in a while is god asking you to give to the work of the lord and you've been arguing with god over it has god been asking you to get serious about that drinking problem or drug problem that you have that you know is dishonoring christ and is hurting members of your family has god been asking you to surrender your life to full-time christian ministry has god been asking you to set aside an intentional time to spend with him each day? Has God been asking you to have some family devotions every evening? What is it that God is asking you to do? You know, I know that it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to live out the Christian life. But the power of the Holy Spirit, friends, will only be activated in our life when we make up our minds to fully obey the Lord. You say, Gordon, nobody can be perfect all the time. You, you're right. That's absolutely true. But what God is looking for is not perfect people. We know that perfection left the earth 2,000 years ago. What God is looking for are people whose intention as they start each day is to honor him. And we may and will falter. But friends, when our intention in our heart is to honor him with our lives, is to be fully obedient to him, it activates the power of the Holy Spirit in our life to do and to accomplish what God wants for us to do. Let's pray together. Most gracious God, we thank you for talking to us today. These are life lessons that are all through the Bible. People, Lord, who thought they could live with little foxes in their life. Who thought, God, we've done all the big stuff. We've taken care of. We, we do things, Lord, that honor you. But, Lord, you want more. You want our full intention to be obedient to you. God, we know we'll fall. We know we'll falter. And there is forgiveness. But Lord, is it the intention of our heart as we start each day to honor you fully with our lives? Lord, as we receive this bread and this juice representing your broken body and your shed blood today, we invite your Holy Spirit to point out some of those little foxes that are keeping the power of the Holy Spirit from being fully activated in our life. Speak to us, we pray this morning, in this quiet moment. In Christ's name we pray.